On this episode of the Fantasy Fallout Podcast, Brandon and I will be going over the various drafting strategies that you can employ in fantasy football, talking about our favorite strategies, our least favorite strategies, and what you can do to succeed in your redraft leagues. Additionally, we'll also be going over our joint team and our thought process as we drafted it to provide further insight. Be sure to stay tuned until the very end. Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Fall Podcast. Today is August 25th, 2022. Uh, Brandon, a lot has happened since the last episode. I'm excited to break it down. For sure, for sure. There's a lot of uh, exciting Thursday night preseason going on as well. So uh, lots of football buzz in the air this week. Yeah. Uh, I think we we did something super exciting though uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, you want to you want to tell everyone what it, what it was? We drafted the official fantasy Fallout podcast super team on FFPC. The two of us collaborated on one team, and I, I think there were pretty few arguments this year, Jake. There were. I I I I like this team. It, it has a nice mixture of stuff that I would do, and stuff that you would do. So, uh, yeah. So we'll be breaking down that team, uh, later in the episode. When we talk about draft strategies and like teams that you're gonna look to want to build. Uh, speaking of today is the draft strategies episode. It is my personal favorite episode because. I, I always love breaking down the theory of fantasy football. Uh, a lot of people come up to me like, oh, you just draft these players. You just draft the top guy on the queue. And it's no, you don't. You, you There are different ways to go about it. There are different ways that you can build a winning team. There are some ways that have been proven to be a little bit better. And we'll, and we'll talk about that. And super exciting. Uh, Hopefully we'll get right into it. Not a lot of news today. We have a couple of viewer questions. We'll get into those. And then we'll get right into the draft strategies. So I'm excited to kick this episode off. Me too. Me too. Let's start with the news. See it of course. So not a ton of news. Uh, at the Giants preseason game, we actually saw news. Uh, Colin Johnson, wide receiver for the New York Giants, who was competing for a starting role tore his ACL. Very unfortunate. Uh he was he was going to potentially be fantasy relevant here, especially because the Giants are so uncertain at their wide receiver position. But now he's not. And you have to wonder uh is Kenny Galladay usable? In all yeah. in, in all seriousness, in all seriousness uh Kenny Galladay's job was potentially on the line uh but with this injury he should maybe see more opportunities despite being the highest paid receiver and should have to see those opportunities anyways <laughs> yeah no it's certainly bizarre I'd say uh Kenny Galladay goes from having like a I don't know what would you say like a 20 percent chance of being usable all the way up to 30% with this injury. Yeah, I would still not want to draft Kenny Galladay. <laughs> no, yeah, he's 
He's borderline undraftable. Um, I would say he's he's the opposite of Damian Pierce in terms of uh, flying up draft boards and flying down draft boards. Yeah, I'm not super excited about the Giants wide receiver room anyways. Uh, interesting impact here, though, could be to Wandell Robinson, the uh, rookie. He could potentially see more work out of the slot. And uh, in the Brian Dable offense, slot guys tend to see a lot of usage, so definitely monitor him as well. Yeah, he didn't look uh, particularly impressive at the preseason game we attended this past Sunday, but um... – you know, hopefully they'll be able to get him out in space a little bit more when the regular season comes around and they're playing with the starting offensive line. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, next piece of news, Mike Davis could start week one. Uh, even if J.K. Dobbins is healthy, they may put him on a snap count. Uh, did we? I sort of expected J.K. to be worked back in slower. But it is concerning that the Ravens are coming out and saying this right now. Yeah, I was um, I was reading this story and I was a little um, you know dis, dis, uh, disillusioned here. But what I did quickly realize is that the Ravens play the Jets week one, uh, so it makes sense that you know they're comfortable using Mike Davis again in a matchup where they're already at like a seven point favorite. Um, but I suspect. But when week two comes around, assuming they have a more competitive opponent, um, they will be, you know, ready to to transition more heavily towards JK. Yeah, I would imagine this is one, maybe two weeks. Still think JK Dobbins may end up suiting up week one. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely expect him to play. Um, I'm making another big piece of news this week. Tyron Smith, um, star left tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, has a torn hamstring. Um, and he also has the, a kneecap injury um, where the muscle separates from the bone around the kneecap. And he is expected to be out through at least November. Um, but at Tyron Smith's age, I would not be surprised if he was out for the entire season. Uh, Jake, th does this have big implications for Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard? Uh, yeah, I'm a little concerned. Uh, I mean, even right right now, Zeke is going around round three, round four. I do think that is a little bit of a discount. However, that comes with the caveat that Dallas has lost weapons over the offseason. Zeke got a year older. Uh, the line got worse, and this does not help. Now Dallas has to start a relatively raw rookie in place of Tyron Smith, and I, I expect this to hurt Zeke and Tony Pollard a little bit. Maybe not in their usage necessarily, but definitely in their efficiency. Uh, even so, looking at some of the other backs going around Zeke, I'm not too enamored with them. I'd rather have Zeke over David Montgomery. I'd rather have him over Cam Akers. He's very uncertain. Uh, so I'm not super concerned, and I'm not knocking Zeke down my draft board. But it is definitely something to monitor. He will be a little less efficient. He might lose a point or two per week. 
Tony Pollard, I don't expect this to hurt him as much because I believe the Cowboys will use him more as a receiving back. So even if he does lose a little efficiency, he's still primarily catching balls out of the backfield. So I'm not as worried about that for him. Another piece of news that could affect the running back room, Michael Carter could see a significant early role or even start the season over Brees Hall, which has me wondering um, if maybe Brees Hall has either not been as impressive as he was in college in camp. Um, maybe he's not picking up the, the playbook as rapidly as the team would have hoped. Or maybe Michael Carter just looks really good. What What are you thinking here? How do we evaluate this? And what do we do with Brees Hall? Yeah, so um, Michael Carter's looked pretty good in camp from all reports. And Brees Hall has looked relatively poor in a very small sample size in the preseason with a, a banged up offensive line. Um, but still, um, it definitely seems like this is trending towards being, you know, a full-on committee. Uh, maybe some people were kind of expecting this to be like a Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon situation where the younger running back, you know, even though he's only a year younger, the younger running back takes a, a bigger share of the job and propels him to, to you know, fantasy stardom. Uh, but it seems like this is going to be more of a, 50-50 split, maybe 55-45 if one of them really emerges as the superior player. Um, but with the Jets' bad offensive line and this being a committee and you know them playing from behind quite a bit, this is looking more and more like a situation that I want to avoid. Um, and whereas before I might have been taking you know Brees Hall before Cam Akers um, and other running backs in that area, now I'm probably waiting to take a Jets running back until much later, and I'll take Michael Carter. Yeah, I do think Michael Carter is being uh, drafted a little bit, a uh, little late, but I, I could I could see a path where both of them are utilized. But... Right. At the same time, I'd still rather have Brees Hall. He looked really, really good in college, and I would imagine he's going to translate well into the pros. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like if they're both usable, that means they're both flexes. I don't know if the Jets can support like an RB2 and a flex with all those receivers as well. That seems like uh, it'd, be, it'd be a bit of an outlier outcome for them. Um, another piece of news, Jake, we didn't have it on the list, but I, I heard uh, when preparing for the podcast, Michael Gallup will be not starting the season on the pup list. That was interesting phrasing, but that means he will play at some point in weeks one through four. Um, so now if you draft Michael Gallup, you're drafting the Dallas Cowboys wide receiver two. Um, and he's certainly a talented player. Does this take... Tolbert off draft boards for you, Jake? Uh, no, not necessarily. I still think Tolbert could see a role. We have seen three wide receivers uh, succeed in this Dallas offense before. Uh, last year, even Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb. However, what this does is potentially when Michael Gallup comes back, uh, those wide receivers that are already there may see a little bit of a decrease in efficiency. 
CD, William, Amari Cooper performed better without Michael Gallup there to absorb some of the targets. So I, I can, I definitely, that is a little bit of a concern. Still, I don't necessarily think that it'll hurt uh, Jalen Tolbert in the long run, at least for Dynasty. But maybe for redraft this year, you may want to look at a couple of the other rookie options like Sky Moore or George Pickens ahead of him. Jake, I'll give you a couple um, players to compare to Michael Gallup. Would you rather have Michael Gallup or Kadarius Tony? I do not like the Giants offense. However, I acknowledge that Kadarius Tony definitely has a easier path to be more fantasy relevant than Michael Gallup because Kadarius Tony could see a lot of the touches in New York. So give me Kadarius Tony. All right. What about Michael Gallup or Brandon Ayuk? Michael Gallup. Okay, so those guys, if you're drafting on ESPN, Kadarius Tony, Brandon Ayuk are like right in the same area. Um, and Jake has Michael Gallup splitting the difference, uh, so that puts him, you know, right around round nine ish, round eight, round nine for Michael Gallup in twelve team PPR leagues. Uh, Jake, any other news you want to touch upon today? Uh, yeah, Mike Jacecki, trade rumors. Uh, keep your eye on this one. Uh, the Dolphins have been using him primarily as a blocking tight end. Uh, Mike Jusecki is more of a receiving tight end. It does not mesh. Uh, the Dolphins are looking to trade him now. Uh, potentially where he goes could be huge. If he goes to a team like Green Bay, where he could slide in, potentially as the number two option to Aaron Rodgers, I definitely could see Mike Jusecki as a low end to mid tight end one. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For I mean, sure. We've seen it before. So uh, there's no reason talent wise why Mike Jusecki can't be good for fantasy. Um, I don't think it's going to happen in Miami. We agree on that, but plenty of fun destinations for him. Uh, Green Bay, I think, is what I'm what I'm rooting for. Um, yeah, it'd be sad for Tunyon, but it would be great for Gusecki, that's for sure. Uh, breaking news, Jake. Isaiah Pacheco just had a seven-yard run. Oh, lovely. He's he's already – is he is he with the first team again? So he is getting carries right now in the second half in the same drive as Ronald Jones. Um, and both of them are looking really good coming out of the halftime break. Um, Ronald Jones got more carries in the first half for whatever that's worth. Maybe this is an audition for other teams. Um, maybe they're trying to just not overwork Pacheco, or maybe Pacheco really is behind Ronald Jones. I don't know, but um, definitely interesting that he is playing in the second half of the third preseason game. So uh, I do just... find it interesting considering he ran with the ones for the other two preseason games with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and definitely keep your eye on the Kansas City uh, situation at running back. I still think Pacheco emerges out of a committee, and I'm still targeting him. But I'm not, I'm not paying like super premium picks. I'm usually buying Pacheco after the 10th round. 
Yeah, I agree. I think at this point, uh, Pacheco is like right around guys like Daryl Henderson um, and Raheem Mostert, like sort of backups that you like and that have a chance at becoming starters. Yeah. All right. Are we ready to transition to viewer requests? Uh, one more piece of news. I think. Uh, okay, Drake okay. got cut. Yeah, and, I I've always liked Kenyon Drake. I think he's probably the best running back alive that's not playing in the NFL. So, did you say what, he was the best running back alive not playing in the NFL? That is what I said. Do you have uh, somebody to refute that claim with? Barry Sanders? <laughs> maybe. Maybe on Hard Knocks they were talking about Barry Sanders uh, putting on some pads again. So it could, it could be Barry Sanders. Uh, it could also be Canyon oh Drake. Um, all right. Getting into the viewer requests. Uh, we have a couple. And as always, uh, in the description of the episodes, we always mention if you ever have a viewer question for us, send it over at ffallout2022 at gmail.com. And we will look to answer your questions in the next episode that we can. Uh, first question from Smokey, who comes at the podcast from the Pacific Coast. He gave us two. I'd actually like to answer both of these. His first is, who is the most likely to replicate Cooper Cup's 2021 season? Where Cooper, in 2020, was a solid wide receiver with a questionable quarterback in Jared Goff. He got an improvement last year to a very above-average quarterback in Matthew Stafford, and the rest was quite literally history. So, Brandon, I see your answer right away. What... Are your thoughts on this? Who is your guy, and why? Why did you choose him? Yeah, so my guy, um, I think he fits the bill super nicely here. Um, is Juju Smith-Schuster, obviously uh, transitioning from a sort of injury-riddled season with Ben Roethlisberger, who was probably at least in the bottom five quarterbacks in the NFL last year. You could argue that he was the worst. Um, and he transitioned to Patrick Mahomes, who is at least in the top five, and you could easily argue that he's the best. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster also has uh, a history of having very solid, productive fantasy seasons in the past, just like Cooper Cup did before switching to the Los Angeles Rams. So uh, and another, another factor in Juju's corner is that he's just 25 years old. So definitely potential for a, a sort of re-breakout here with Juju. And, you know, we've seen Patrick Mahomes support wide receivers to the degree that they are among the very, very best in fantasy. And while, you know, maybe my projection for Juju is that he's like a wide receiver too, he definitely has that super high upside in his profile. And that's why I've been, enjoyed taking him in the sixth round in drafts this year. Jake. I see that you have a name here that I also considered for this honor. Why don't you uh, tell me who this year's Cooper Cup might be? Yeah, um, and to be honest, I'm not super high on this guy. But I chose Allen Robinson of the Los Angeles Rams. I think the reason is simple. Even if 
Allen Robinson does not have a Cooper Cup like season. Uh, if he has like a Cooper Cup like leap, where Allen Robinson goes from absolutely unusable to pretty good fantasy option, I would consider that answering this question. Uh, Allen Robinson going from the very notorious Bears 2021 passing offense to the same quarterback that helped Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford. Allen Robinson does have a history of performing. He has a history of fantasy relevance. He even had a he even had a year on the Bears where he was fantasy relevant before last year, where he completely phoned it in. I think that if there is one guy that could potentially do it, I would like to hedge my bet on the team that had something like that happen last year and uh, got a similar guy, not a similar guy, but a guy who was coming from a very, very bad offense to a very, very good offense. Another guy that I was potentially considering was Cortland Sutton, but I think that one is the obvious one. So that being said... Yeah, I thought about Corlin Sutton too. Um, and then the the last person in this group, I think there are four guys that fit the bill. We named three of them. The fourth one is Michael Pittman. Um, I think his quarterback upgrade is pretty similar to what was received by Cooper Cup last year. He's also poised for a breakout, but we we certainly have talked about him plenty on fantasy fallout in the past. So uh that's why I went with Juju for this question. Jake, what are we at next? Next question from Smokey. Who are our favorite sleepers this year? Uh, I'll start this one off. I'm really liking Nico Collins, Kenneth Gainwell, and Mo'Ally Cox. Nico Collins is a wide receiver for the Texans. I think he has a huge opportunity to slide into the wide receiver two role in Houston. He has a pretty decent rapport with Davis Mills. He ended his rookie season with pretty decent numbers. And I think just he's posed for a breakout. Kenny Gamewell is my next one running back for the Philadelphia Eagles. He looked really good on the field last year. And he got more touchdowns than Miles Sanders. He was relatively healthy throughout the year. He had good vision. He was a pass catching back. I think the Eagles offense is going to improve. And even if Miles is healthy, I think Kenneth Gainwell can be at least a flex option. That being said, Miles is already having issues with his health in training camp, so watch out for Kenny Gamewell. He could slide into potentially a top 20 role on this Philadelphia Eagles offense. Final guy I have, Mo Cox. He gets the similar upgrade in quarterback as Michael Pitts does, but with the added benefit that Matt Ryan usually supports a viable tight end for fantasy, he's looked really good. He's absolutely enormous. He will be a big red zone target for Matt Ryan, and I'm looking forward to watching him this year. Yeah, um, I definitely understand the case for all your sleepers. I particularly like Nico Collins and Mo'Ally Cox. Um, I think Mo'Ally Cox could easily be a tight end one. I wouldn't be surprised if, if you had him projected there. Um Nico obviously has a great role. My sleepers, uh, Raheem Mostert, Isaiah McKenzie, and Daniel Jones. We've talked about Daniel Jones plenty, but I won't believe at the point there. But Isaiah McKenzie will be the slot receiver for the Bills. 
a role formerly held by Cole Beasley, who was an incredibly viable flex option in the past. And uh, I believe last year, Isaiah McKenzie started two games in this role on the Bills. And in one game, he had over 100 yards and a touchdown. And in the other game, he had 60 yards and two touchdowns. So, you know, obviously we don't expect that kind of production, but with Josh Allen throwing to you, you certainly have plenty of upside. Um, very much into Isaiah McKenzie in the later rounds where he is going. And then I like Raheem Mostert too. I think he's incredibly talented. Uh, I probably put him in my top 16 running backs in terms of actual talent. He is the fastest player in the NFL uh, as tracked by Amazon Web Services, um, Amazon Next Gen Stats brought to you by Amazon Web Services. Um, and he, he doesn't have a super defined role right now, but he could easily wind up with the first and second down work and possibly the goal line work for a solid offense in Miami. And you can get him for basically free at the end of your drafts. All righty. Um, I see we have one more question here, Jake. We about do. ranking the second year receivers. Yes. There are a lot of them. Uh, question from Jeremy, uh, Pennsylvania, I believe. Uh, who are, what is our ranking of the second year receivers? Who's going to be the best one? Who are our sleepers and who are our busts? Second year receivers are Jamar Chase, Amon Ra, Nico Collins, Jalen Waddle. Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Kadarius Tony, Devonta Smith, Josh Palmer, Terrace Marshall Jr., Amari Rogers, Rondell Moore, Tudu Atwell, Dwayne Eskridge, Diami Brown, and Anthony Schwartz. A lot of receivers here. Uh, I'm not going to go over my complete rankings, but I will give you a couple of my 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 thoughts here. I think the number one and number two receivers for the second years are relatively clear. I think it's Amin Ra St. Brown and Jamar Chase. Amin Ra, I think, has a real chance to inherit 25% of the targets in Detroit. He ended the entire last half of the year as the wide receiver, too. He, he was electric on the field. And so far in the preseason, he has looked the exact same. So I do not expect that to change in any way. Jamar Chase is Jamar Chase. He was amazing. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, as for the rest of the guys that I think are going to be really good, I think Jalen Waddell gets a lot of targets in Miami. I think that offense is going to run their passing game exclusively through him and Tyreek. Devonta Smith, I think a similar situation is going to emerge in Philadelphia. Maybe he's not getting as many targets as Waddle because of the presence of Goddard and the Eagles' tendency to throw the tight end. And then Elijah Moore of the New York Jets just looks flat-out good. He's just he, he's similar to Amon Ra in the sense that he's just, like, really good. They can utilize him everywhere. But similarly to first-half season Amon Ra, the Jets have hesitated to use him everywhere. Now, I think that with Zach Wilson's injury, he's out for week one. Uh, Joe Flacco and Mike White tended to target Elijah Moore a lot. And when they did, he was electric with the football. I think that will happen again. And Elijah Moore will remind the coaching staff, hey, I'm really good. And you should probably get me the football. 
As for my sleepers, I have Rashad Bateman of the Ravens. He obviously could have the enormous potential to inherit a huge percent of the passing offense. That being said, it is a Ravens passing offense, so it will not be a lot of high volume. Nico Collins I talked about already. And then Amari Rodgers of the Packers. Why not Amari? I think Amari could potentially earn role a role in Green Bay in the slot, even though uh, Romeo Dobbs is taking Aaron Rodgers out to lunch and they're and they're becoming <laughs> best friends very quickly. Uh, I think Amari Rodgers could see an increase in work. He was decently talented coming out of college, and the Packers obviously have a void to fill. My busts are pretty much the guys that I do not think are going to get a lot of work. That is Terrace Marshall, Anthony Schwartz, Tutu Atwell, uh, Diami Brown, and Dwayne Eskridge. And last year, they didn't see the field very often. They didn't get a lot of work. Uh, the, the teams that had drafted them almost exclusively brought in replacements or paid receivers or change something about their offense that will exclude these guys. So I'm not I'm not drafting any of them. Brandon, your thoughts on the second year wide receivers? Yeah, I think you did a good job covering it. Um, I just think one thing that's like really interesting is those last five names that you mentioned. Um, it's kind of just crazy to me that NFL teams draft receivers in the second round and third round, like all of these guys, and they never give them an opportunity. Uh, you know, even to really take the field. Um, and then, you know, in their second years, they they haven't developed because they haven't played. And, and it just feels like, you know, if I had to guess, I would say all five of these guys are dumb. And they were, you know, high second round picks in the case of many of them. So um, just kind of confusing to me why, why a team would do that. Um, but no, I, I liked your list. I have Bateman a little bit higher. I have Devonta Smith a little bit lower. But otherwise, we're, we're pretty much in lockstep here. Um, you know, Am- Amari Rogers is also an interesting guy. It's kind of disappointing that, you know, he's been talked about so little in terms of replacing a lot of the lost production from Green Bay, like signing Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb if you were like an actually talented uh, third year player that probably, I guess, second year player that, that probably wouldn't, um, you know, relegate you to the bottom of the depth chart. But I think at this point he's behind the three veteran starters and Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. So, you know, kind of disappointing that he could only be the wide receiver six on a team with so much turnover at the position. Yeah. All right. Let's get right into the draft strategies. So, Brennan, there are a few draft strategies that I have seen emerge this year. Uh, first one I want to talk about is the draft strategy with drafting a tight end high, like within your first three rounds. This, to me, seems like a really strong strategy this year with all the uncertainty at tight end. You have your top three or four guys in uh, in Kelsey, Mark Andrews, uh, Kyle Pitts, and maybe one of Darren Waller or George Kittle, if you believe that they are still within that tier. Uh, basically, what we're doing here 
in this strategy is we are taking a tight end early and we are forgetting about the position the rest of the way in the draft. Uh, usually when I'm doing a high tight end strategy, I like to pair the other two first round picks with running backs because I find that in the fourth and the fifth round, I can grab two wide receivers that I really like. But I think there is some inherent risk with taking a high tight end. You are using a premium pick on a position where you only need to fill one slot. And if your tight end busts or gets injured, then you're really weak at the position. Brennan, when you're drafting high tight ends, what are you thinking? And what is your strategy here to maybe maybe mitigate some of the risks that I mentioned? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with your points here. Um, I like the high tight end strategy. Um, my my primary reasoning is, you know, if, if I take Kyle Pitts in the third round, you know, my opponents are not going to beat me at tight end when they take Cole Komet in the 10th round. Whereas if I took a wide receiver in the third round, it's certainly possible that a sleeper or a mid-round player could outperform uh, a running back that's taken in the third round per se. So, uh, you know, just because you, you have a, a high degree of certainty with these tight ends in the first three rounds, I, I do think it is a very solid, solid drafting strategy. One that I've been employing most of the time this year. I mean, I do, I do tend to agree with you that you want to take a running back, you know, at least, at least one in the first three rounds, probably two, uh, definitely two in the first four rounds if you're taking a tight end with one of those first three round picks. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that this year it's it's definitely applies to Kelsey, Andrews, and Pitts. I think it would be a, a mistake to take Waller or Kittle that high. Um, but if you are a believer, um, then then go for it. But I think those three guys are the ones that have a guaranteed volume where your bust risk is low enough that you can take them at a onesie position in the first three rounds. Um, and I also think that the last thing to mention is that if you take one of these guys, uh, you're you're not drafting Josh Allen in the fourth or the third. You're not drafting Mahomes in the fourth or the fifth. You're probably not drafting Herbert either. Um, but I do think you can start thinking about sixth-round quarterbacks like Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, um, and maybe like Russell Wilson um, with this strategy still, but, but just not those super elite quarterbacks because you just wouldn't have enough depth at running back and wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that there is an inherent risk, but this strategy is very strong. You do get such a positional advantage. It's such a position where it's hard to do so. Uh, I definitely like this strategy more than your RB, which is the next one we're going to talk about. Uh, but maybe I, I do think there are potentially stronger strategies here than higher tight end. Moving on, uh, zero running back. This is my least favorite strategy. Uh, Brandon, do you want to describe this one before I get into why I dislike this so much? Uh, sure. So essentially the thought process behind zero RB is that running backs get injured most frequently um, and, and they're definitely the least re reliable position. So you want to invest your draft capital 
in wide receivers, tight ends, and quarterbacks in the first, I would say, first five rounds of your draft to be a true zero RB team can't be a running back. Um, you, if you invest in these other positions, you build out a very strong receiver core. You can grab your quarterback. You can grab a good tight end. And then you start to worry about the running back. And you kind of hope that throughout the season, you can pick up guys that are like the running back ones that you didn't take in the draft. Um, so I think this year, some popular picks to draft at running back after the fifth round include Chase Edmonds, Tony Pollard, Damian Pierce, Cordero Patterson. So if you take guys like these, um, you know, you you're, you have a pretty decent floor in terms of pass catching work, not a lot of ceiling. You know, maybe you're getting between 10 and 12 points from these guys. And the hope is that you drafted well enough at all the other positions that you don't, you know, that, that you'll be able to survive the beginning of the season. And then by the end of the season, hopefully an injury or two allows one of your depth running backs to become a true running back one, sort of like what happened last year with Khalil Herbert becoming a running back one when David Montgomery got hurt. So that's the argument for zero RB. Jake, why don't you like it? Put simply, uh, you're waiting on a position where there are a lot of, there's a lot of uncertainty. I, I do think, I do think there can be an argument made where running back may not necessarily have a higher inherent injury risk than wide receiver. We see more high profile running back injuries and people tend to talk about it more in fantasy because it tends to be more impactful because unlike the wide receivers, usually teams will only have one running back on the field at a time. You can only hand a ball off to one person the league is tending to go more towards a pass-first offense style. So running backs that are premium, like guys like Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Najee Harris, uh, you're skipping out on those for the quote-unquote safety and stability of the wide receiver. But... At the cost, you're basically grabbing guys, maybe like Naheem Hines, uh, like Michael Carter, uh, who put, who see themselves in a committee at best. Now, there are running backs where if I were to ever find myself doing a zero RB strategy, I would target guys like James Robinson, guys you had mentioned like, uh, like Damian Pierce. Uh, maybe I can grab Damien Harris, but even then there's risk with these running backs that you don't see in guys that you can grab at the higher rounds like Nick Chubb. Uh, they're lower on your draft board for a reason. You're getting a worse player at a position where you have to draft and start at least two guys. And for most teams, those running backs that are going to be your RB1 and your RB2 will end up being like bench guys potentially. So you're really hurting yourself. And if you get the position of running back wrong, then zero running back completely falls apart. Yeah, I think um, I think the reason why this strategy kind of sticks around every year as something people talk about um, is because it's very easy to make the playoffs with a zero RB team but I would argue that it's very hard to actually win with one uh, because in fantasy football, 
The teams that get injured are the teams that are going to miss the playoffs. And the teams that stay healthy are the ones that are going to make the playoffs. So, you know, you'll make the playoffs potentially on the heels of all your healthy players. But the teams that do have running backs that do stay healthy just have so much more upside than your zero RB team. It really is hard to compete using this strategy come playoff time, unless you get really lucky with, um, you know, drafting the right backups and having starting running backs get injured at the exact right time. Jake, yeah. what about uh, Hero running back? Tell me oh, about yes, let's talk track. about Hero First, running so back. Tell me, tell me how you, what you interpret as Hero RB. So uh, Hero RB is basically you take one of like the top tier running backs, like a Christian McCaffrey, a Jonathan Taylor. And I think this strategy is more exclusive towards the people at the start of the draft specifically like picks one through four where one of those two guys could fall because I really think hero RB is the strategy only with uh, that. I would employ only with a Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, where they're far and away better than the other players, maybe Derek Henry in a standard league, but basically what hero running back is, is you draft one of these two guys, the beginning of your draft, and then you fill out the entire rest of your position. So you grab a bunch of wide receivers, you grab a tight end, you grab a quarterback before going back to the running backs. So basically what it is, is it is zero RB, except instead of going completely zero RB, you get one of the top tier running backs, and then you fill out the rest of your running backs with these with these guys that have a lot more risk that may be in a committee that might not have the higher upside. So in essence, you're treat, you're hoping that the high, high, high upside of your hero running back is enough to cover your other running back. And I've seen this strategy see a lot of success. Again, there's always an inherent risk of potentially you, you are losing the upside that a second running back could have. But it's mitigated by the fact that you have a hero running back, a, a running back stud that you can depend on. So I think for those of us that maybe do not want to go all the way with zero running back, hero running back is a much safer strategy that I think still offers a lot more upside. Yep, I agree with what you said. I, one way that I like to think about this strategy is it, almost kind of takes the running back position and it turns it into one of those onesie positions like tight end and quarterback where you only need one because you take your, your running back early, you lock him into running back one and you forget about it. And then you have the whole rest of your draft to focus on running back two. And from there, you know, you just treat it like you would treat your tight end where you can wait much later in the draft because you're only trying to fill one spot. Um, I definitely like this strategy. I think it's good for avoiding running backs in the running back dead zone. So we've talked about this before, but you don't really want to take running backs in the fourth, fifth, and sixth round. So if you have your running back, you know, from one overall or two overall, and then you know, you're taking wide receiver, tight end, wide receiver, wide receiver, quarterback, and then you're taking, you know, three or four running backs later, like lower round guys, like 
you mentioned earlier, we mentioned in the zero uh, running back segment, you take a few of those guys and hope that one of them emerges as a running back too. And honestly, the odds are one of them probably will emerge as a running back too. So definitely a strategy that, that I like, but I do agree with you. It works better from the top of your draft where it is easier to draft from anyway. And this is part of the reason why. Yeah. Um, Jake, the complete consider... opposite on the spectrum. Do we want to go over that? Um, sure. We can talk about that and kind of talk about some of our teams that we drafted recently as well. Yes. So getting more towards the other end of the spectrum where we're going a little bit more running back heavy. Uh, zero wide receiver. Brennan, you actually pretty much ran a zero wide receiver draft in one of our leagues that we had drafted uh, over the weekend. you want to kind of describe that a little bit and what your thought process was? Sure, sure. So I did a, um, you know, very running back heavy, almost zero wide receiver draft where I took three running backs with my first three picks, uh, then took just one wide receiver and then went into the quarterback well. Um, and I also, I also took my tight end early. So I didn't get my wide receiver two until the ninth round. Um, so this is definitely an unusual strategy. Um, but for me, you know, one of the things that I'm most confident in um, as, a, as a fantasy player is identifying wide receivers in the late rounds that will be productive. Uh, so in this particular league, I took Christian Kirk in the ninth round and then later on drafted Isaiah McKenzie, Rhonda Moore, Kadarius Tony, and Nico Collins. And all of these guys have very reliable target shares. Um, and I'm very confident that between those five players, I'll be able to get a viable wide receiver too. Um, so because, you know, I know that's where my strength is, um, I overcompensated for, you know, areas where it's harder to predict what's going to happen by taking more guaranteed players in the first three rounds. So I happen to take Dalvin Cook, James Conner, and J.K. Dobbins, players that have very assured roles in their backfields. And then I also took Damian Pierce early in the draft just to further uh, lock up the running back position. So hopefully I don't have to worry about it at all throughout the course of the season. Uh, so this build worked out pretty nicely. And it doesn't always look the prettiest right after you draft. But the hope is that, you know, when week five or six comes around and everybody has a running back that's injured, your running backs still look really good and your wide receivers have hopefully emerged, uh, which leaves you with a very complete looking roster. Jake, you use this strategy pretty successfully in the past as well. I have. Uh when I tend to do it, I tend to go running back, running back in another position or running back, another position, running back. Uh, typically when I draft, I like to take running backs with two of my first three picks simply because I, I find it's a little bit more stable for me to manage when I have a running back. I, I, I usually account for the fact that I'm going to, I'm, I know one of my running backs is going to miss time, but that being said, by drafting multiple running backs earlier, I still have the elite upside at the running back position while also 
giving myself with that other player that I took that was not a running back. Usually I go wide receiver, giving myself a more elite option at that position as well. And then filling out the rest of my roster with guys that'll get me usually between 10 and 12 points a week. It's worked for me in the past. It is the strategy I employed last year to make the championship in an FFPC league. Uh, it's it's usually pretty safe. Uh, it's it's usually good mixture of a high floor and a high ceiling. Now that of course depends on the guys that you pick and how you manage your team. But typically going like running back, wide receiver, running back, running back, tight end, running back, or or going a little bit more heavier, maybe foregoing your wide receivers for the first few rounds of the draft. It tends to work out well because you're trying to mitigate the risk of the running back. That being said, should one of your other positions not work or or end up busting, you're in a little bit of trouble. Yep. Um, and why don't we talk about uh, running back, wide receiver, tight end, um, a strategy that we just used for our FFPC joint team. Yes. So for our FFPC joint team, we have Jalen Hurts as our quarterback, Christian McCaffrey, J.K. Dobbins at the running backs, Michael Pittman, Amon Ross, St. Brown at the wide receivers, Kyle Pitts at our tight end. Then we have flexes, Chris Godwin, Damian Harris, a bench consisting of Trevor Lawrence, James Robinson, Isaiah Pacheco, Dontrell Hilliard, Raheem Mostert, Dante Foreman. So a little bit of Christian McCaffrey insurance there. George Pitts, Romeo Dobbs, Isaiah Likely, the backup tight end for Baltimore, Mo Ali Cox, and then we took Rodrigo Blankenship in the Baltimore defense. Um, basically, our strategy going in, we had the second pick at this draft. We knew we were taking Christian McCaffrey or Jonathan Taylor. So going in, we did that. Then given the league format of our FAPC league, where the tight end has a premium, so for those who may not know, that means a tight end gets a little bit more points per reception than a typical position would. We decided to take Kyle Pitts. Uh, we think that he has real high upside in Atlanta. Uh, he's going to get a lot of targets, he's going to get a lot of catches, and he will hopefully get more than one touchdown. And then our round three pick, we took Michael Pittman. Uh, he obviously has a very high floor, new quarterback in Indianapolis. Uh, he, he's... We think he's going to do great. Uh, then the next couple of rounds, we took Amon Ross St. Brown. We've talked about him a lot. And then J.K. Dobbins. So basically, our strategy going in was we know we are getting one of the top two running backs. Even so, we would like within the first five rounds to grab another guy. We grabbed J.K. Dobbins. Uh, because after J.K. Dobbins, the running backs start to get a little iffy. But at the same time, we do not want to cap ourselves at the other positions. So knowing that, we thought the best strategy to do so was go running back, tight end, wide receiver. And my team that I drafted by myself, I also employed a similar strategy. This time I went tight end, running back, wide receiver. So I took Travis Kelsey in the first, and then I was able to turn and grab Alvin Kamara in the second round. Then I went A.J. Brown and Ezekiel Elliott, D.K. Metcalf, Jared Judy, Elijah Moore. Uh, took James Robinson, Isaiah Pacheco, Kareem Hunt, 
Mark Ingram, um, get a drop. Kenyon Drake, he was my 20th <laughs> round pick. I uh, got KJ Hamler, KJ Osborne, Jamison Williams, Trevor Lawrence, Stephen Njoku, uh, Aaron Rodgers on that team as well. So definitely uh, I, I maybe forego the quarterback position a little bit. I grabbed Aaron Rodgers a little later, like round 11. But I do think Aaron Rodgers is going to have a good year. I was willing to do that in order to get stronger results at the other positions. And looking at the roster, I went relatively wide receiver heavy after I grabbed my two running backs. And then I grabbed Kareem Hunt and James Robinson and Isaiah Pacheco. So I'm satisfied how this team turned out as well, because I feel as though grabbing those two running backs within the first five rounds allowed me to fill out the wide receiver core. I had Travis Kelsey, which meant I did not really have to worry about the tight end position at all. And then uh, I was able to fill out the rest of the roster and field a pretty, I think, competitive team. So I think this strategy gives a lot of flexibility. You're not having to spend two picks, two picks like within like round seven to round 11 on tight end. You may not even have to spend another pick on tight end depending on your league format. So I, I definitely am liking this strategy more as we see it play out. Obviously, uh, we will see how it goes, but I, I find myself drafting this way a lot. I actually drafted right before the, the uh, podcast recording today in another league. Um, we had 15 rounds. I went running back, Jake, tight end, wide receiver what is the, again. Uh, what is the format, Jake? How many teams? What's the scoring? It is a 12-team PPR team. So... I took Najee Harris with my first round pick. Then I went to Travis Kelsey. Uh, I was picked four in this league, by the way. I took Najee Harris. I took Travis Kelsey towards the end of the second round. Then I grabbed Mike Evans. I grabbed Jerry Judy. And then I had to draft David Montgomery. I was very worried about the running backs at that point. This league was taking a lot of them. Uh, then I went Devonta Smith, Damian Pierce, I went Elijah Moore. I managed to snag him. Then I grabbed Trey Lance, Kirk Cousins, Kenny Gainwell. I went and grabbed Nico Collins, one of my sleepers, Brian Robinson, the Broncos defense, and Jake Elliott. So I think that's a pretty decent team right there. I have the high upside in the high floor quarterback. Uh, didn't have to worry about tight end at all. I have a plethora of wide receivers. I Oh, did, I, I drafted Devonta Smith. I, I didn't mention I drafted Devonta Smith. I drafted him before I drafted Damian Pierce and Elijah Moore. Uh, got a ton of wide receivers. Uh, I have a few running backs that could potentially emerge. Uh, and I think overall, this is not a bad team for that type of format as well. And notice I did not have another tight end. Tell me about uh, Najee Harris fourth overall, Jake. That seems uh, like a pretty spicy pick. So Najee fourth overall was in PPR. Najee is my fourth best running back. I thought maybe Kamara could get back to me in the second round. He did not. So maybe I would have taken him if I had known that. But I, I think Najee's just going to get a lot of a lot of touches. And I was a little concerned. I was considering Justin Jefferson. He went three. I did not want to take Cooper Cup over a running back because I was not as thrilled 
with a Cooper Cup and the second round running back rather than the running back and and a wide receiver. So that was kind of my thought process. And then Najee Harris was the guy that I had rated highest. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that that's an interesting team. Uh, you took a lot of uh, a lot of your guys. Um, so I, I would be inclined to bet against that team. Maybe we'll, we'll try to figure out some sort of wager. Uh, keep things interesting to the podcast. Uh, maybe uh, something about you missing the playoffs in that league. Uh, I, I don't think I'll miss the playoffs. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think anybody ever thinks they're going to miss the playoffs, Jake. But um, we'll we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it off air, and we'll announce uh, next week what we want to do with that one. In honor of the draft strategies episode, it makes sense that we have another bet, like we have all season. Uh, speaking of Jake, is that what we have in store for next week? Um. Uh, yeah, I think next week, uh, we're gonna be going over, uh, kind of like parlays in fantasy football how people tend to bet in fantasy football, kind of the stuff that we've been doing in regards to that, uh, ways to uh, spice up your fantasy leagues. So with that, I think we can call this episode for today. Uh, Thank you for listening to Fantasy Fallout Podcast, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you in the next one. Peace out.